series all about facing failure, overcoming difficulties, improving our research culture, and so much more, all set within the higher education and research environment. If you're joining us for the first time, then you're welcome to listen to these episodes in any order, or pick and choose the ones that interest you. But I do recommend listening to episode one, which is a short introduction to this project, first. That episode outlines what we're trying to do here, how the project came about, why we use the language we use throughout the episodes, and a few other technical bits, such as funding and ethics as well. Although this podcast was made as part of my work as training coordinator for graduate students at the University of East Anglia, I'm not a professional sound engineer or radio host, and all of my guests were volunteers recording from their own homes with the equipment they had to hand. Please bear with us if the episodes aren't always quite as polished as professional podcasts. The message they convey is what's important here. Speaking of that, I hope you enjoy today's episode and it gives you something to think about, either now or in the future. It inspires you to try something different or it makes you feel less like the only person in the world when you face setbacks or difficulties in your work. If you have any feedback or comments about this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Contact details are in the show notes. Show notes have been created for this and every episode. They contain links to as many of the books, people, websites or other resources mentioned by our interviewee, combined with some of my thoughts and notes. Show notes for every episode can be found at emmaelvidge.com forward slash podcast. Today I'm joined by Steve Jones. Steve, soon to officially be Dr. Steve Jones, congratulations Steve, is a recently completed PhD student at the University of East Anglia. A computer scientist by background, Steve completed an interdisciplinary computer science and business PhD in the Norwich Business School. In 2018, during the final stage of his PhD, Steve was involved in a serious motorcycle accident that nearly cost him his life. Despite a two-year medical intercalation and extensive physical rehabilitation, Steve came back to complete his PhD. Steve shares with us the techniques that have helped him along the way, including building professional networks and friendships, asking for help, reflective practice, and trickle writing your thesis. These techniques are useful whatever happens to you during your PhD, and I hope not many people live through what Steve has, but still, there should be something here for everyone to learn from, or at the very least, to enjoy Steve's love for his subject and his positive outlook on life. So hi Steve, welcome to today's podcast episode. Before we get started on the main topic of conversation, do you just want to introduce yourself a bit about your background and how you got to be talking to us today? Yeah, hi Emma, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Um, So my name is Steve Jones. Um, I've just finished my PhD in Norwich Business School. and my background is a bit of business and computer science. Um, so I've done the undergraduate and master's degrees in computing sciences. Um, but my PhD was based in the business school, but it still was very inter- interdisciplinary. So it was a bit of all of those disciplines, which I really enjoyed. And I've come to this podcast today because in 2018, I was involved in a very bad uh, motorcycle accident, which nearly cost my life, let alone my PhD. And it's really kind of wanting to share the experiences since then and how that has almost galvanized my my grit and determination to actually just finish and succeed and if I can encourage others in that I'd love to. Great thank you so 
How far into your PhD were you in 2018? I was about a chapter and a half off of finishing writing. Okay, so you were you were quite well into, into yes. the process then. Were you doing your PhD full-time or part-time? Full-time. Full-time, okay. So you were, what, like a couple of years? Or do you not think in years? Do you only think in chapters? <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't be the only one to think of it like that. Um, I don't necessarily think in chapters. I Yeah, I think um, I was in the write-up year. Yeah. Um, so the fourth year. Fourth year. Wow, so a really difficult time to have anything. I mean, most people are on the edge as it mm. is really during fourth year. How were things, how was your PhD experience before 2018? If I could do it again, I would. I loved every minute of it, <sighs> even though, you know, it was certainly the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm sure all PGRs would say the same thing. Um, but I learned so much about myself um things that I never knew I was interested in and the character development itself is just priceless um so despite the bad thing that really you know that bad thing that happened I, I walk away from this a different person um but yeah it's just if I could do it again I would because it was a lot of fun learning all of that stuff did you come did you come straight through education or had you worked for a while before doing your PhD? Um, so I'd actually worked since 2003 when I left college and I had a great career in the in the NHS um, doing clinical systems training all over the UK. And I came to university in 2010, the sort of the just after the financial crisis back then, training work budgets all run dry and yeah there just wasn't a lot around and the project that I was involved in were all completed so I came to UEA to do an undergraduate degree because I thought well three years time let's see what's going to happen lo and behold I do that a master's degree in advanced computing science and then get a scholarship chucked at me by MBS to do a PhD I never would have imagined that in 2010 um, if anyone would have said you're going to have a PhD in ten years, Steve, I'd have laughed at them. Because you didn't consider yourself academic, because you didn't really know anyone that had done a PhD. <laughs> no, admittedly, back then my <laughs> attitude was quite oh academic. So they're just in these big ivory towers, and coming to university just actually opened my eyes to a lot of things, and the industry experience just really, I just found it just transferred into it so well. And I really enjoyed it. It that suddenly learning became a lot of fun. Probably hard to answer this because you didn't, you haven't had any known any other way. But do you think it's partly the added life experience you had first that that helped? Um, to a degree, yes. And you know, I think I think there's certainly a different mindset. I mean, and different commitments too. I mean, so for example, certainly in in, in an undergraduate degree, well, I. I certainly wasn't out partying a lot of the time because I had commitments family-wise that, that, you know, I had a, a, a fiance and there was a lot of that aspect that goes through to it. But I think also the, the discipline of, I, I worked for eight or six most days um, in my average of sometimes longer than that. And a lot of that time management just come into it. And yeah, it, it's, it, I didn't think about it. It just happened. And so I think there is a degree of that, yes. 
One thing I was going to ask you a little bit down the line, so I'm just jumping ahead, was asking you about how coming back to your PhD felt after having your accident. But actually, you also came back to education here in that you finished college, you worked, and then you decided to come back, mm. you know, to, to and so, so I think going back to something after a break always takes courage. So is, would you describe it that way? Was it a, a bit scary to come back to university after that time? There was a little bit of scary, scariness in that, yeah. Certainly coming back as um, in that age bracket where you're called a mature student. Um, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have judged myself as mature by any standards. Um, but it, there was those questions of, oh, how am I going to fit in? Um, am I just going to be, you know, what's going to... Can I, will I cope with it all? And it was this big unknown, but equally that big unknown was exciting. That was like, yeah, who knows what this is going to be like? And so there was a big element of that, yes. Um, but I think going back to the answer to the previous question, um, having the experience in industry in itself, I think does a lot to prepare you for that. And, and I was very surprised at how transferable a lot of that element was and then of course you meet a lot of other guys who have been in similar positions and it's amazing the friends for life you make and I'm still speaking to guys that I studied with in my undergraduate degree and some of them are my closest friends now. Hmm. Oh, that's really nice. So you then you did your undergraduate masters you started your PhD sounds like it was it was the dream if you do it all over again I'm not sure that too many people occasionally I think about doing another one but then I realize that's it's just folly folly um, <laughs> <laughs> um so and then you had this accident which is obviously completely outside of your control so mm. not something you could have seen or prepared for or you know that anyone's really prepared for so um how like did you take some time out from your PhD how, how long were you away from it I had to medically intercalate for two years. Um, two years. Oh. Yeah, I mean, so to basically in a nutshell, to give some context, and I don't mind going into detail on this. So June 2018, when it all happened, great and glorious day. I'd, I'd um, you know, I'd, I'd love, I love riding my bike. It was just a nice way of just, you know, zoning out from from mm -hmm. everyday things and. And I was riding with a few other guys and and unfortunately, you know, I don't remember the details of the accident. I am only going with what I've been informed, but a car turned into my path and that catapulted me headfirst through a wall. And the only thing I remember is waking up in an intensive care room, not knowing where I was, but being told I was in Addenbrooke and, and then learning it was five weeks later. And... And that was quite a surreal experience and quite a poignant one now I look back on it. And 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 I do remember short around that sort of time I was thinking about my PhD. I've got to get back, I want to finish this up. And and I do remember speaking to the doctors about so can I be doing this? And and them saying, No, you're in no state to do this at the moment. And they refused to give me my laptop when I asked for it. <laughs> but that's kind of where it all started because I wanted to finish and that was on my mind. And the doctors actually engaged me every day, getting me to talk to them about it, what I had done. And I look back at that now and I, and I thank a lot of that in the fact they kept that alive 
and they kept my brain just focused on that point. And that was my goal. My, my one goal was I am going to finish this. I am so close. I am going to finish this. And the moment they let me have my phone back, well, I immediately phoned my supervisors to tell them I'm not quitting. It's fine. <laughs> um, and I, I just held on to it at that point going forward. I just refused to let that goal go. That's amazing, especially over all that, that time taking, you know, two years out from it because there's so much, so much changes in two years, right? It's, there's so much research to come back to and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see. So my occupational therapy, so I had, I had to have a lot of rehab because um, I'd suffered a traumatic brain injury and, and free bleeds of my brain. And there was a lot of things going on and, fatigue was the big battle then it was like you know how can how much can I do before the fatigue hits me and I had occupational therapy working with me in conjunction with UEA to be fair and UEA have done a lot for me um you know the, the university has just been so great overall um that even though I was integrating they allowed me to use elements of my PhD for my uh, rehab and because at the time I couldn't manage 20 minutes a week um, doing anything in in the writing of my thesis and and it was a marathon just to build up the endurance again and and it's one that was full of pain and lessons like for example I would go back to it and I wouldn't want to stop but my body would say you're going to stop and next thing I know I'd be waking up on my keyboard. 12 hours later after a heavy sleep and and it was insane I think about that but just going through that journey and 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 coming at the other end but as you said there things have changed yeah I I had to revisit some elements of my literature review just to bring in some up-to-date literature and and the chapters I was writing at the time I was finishing my discussion and the conclusion so quite a heavyweight chapter and I probably uh, probably rewrote it a couple of times <laughs> um, just because I just wasn't satisfied of it. Um, but in the end, the, the goal was still there. The goal was, I am going to finish this. And no matter how difficult this is going to be, I'm going to get there. I've come way too far. And not losing sight of that goal, I think, was was the big driver that, got me to the point and got me through the goalposts and I had an amazing viva I had a really enjoyable experience and yeah just an emotional thing to be told yeah you, you're being recommended for the award of PhD hmm. yeah I mean it's, it's for anyone but especially after having been through that as well hmm. did it did anything feel different about coming back I mean had it changed your mindset in any way um work, work-life uh, balance, or just how you approached your PhD? Yeah, quite. I think a lot of things. Um, I had no organisation skill all of a sudden. I've gone from pre-accident being, I would describe myself and others would have described me as being quite hyper-organised. Like, you know, it's I'm really quite anal about the, my time management to the point where suddenly that was no longer there. And so... 
when I was resuming it, it felt a bit laissez-faire. So I had to relearn those soft skills. Um, but thankfully, I had help with the folks at Coleman Hospital and, and the university mm. to sort of help develop that skill again. And some of my technical skills, I had to relearn them. Um, and it was it's quite distressing because it's stuff that you thought, oh, I would have would have known that. Um, but it was then learning to also be compassionate with yourself. And I think this is accident aside, probably applies to everyone. Self-compassion is one of those things that we probably all need to do a lot more often. Like, for example, we would expect way too much of ourselves. Um, but actually, sometimes we just need to be a bit compassionate on ourselves and, and recognize that we're only human and we have limitations. But in general, overall, yeah, my sort of like attitude to life changed massively. Um, there's a lot more things now I don't take for granted. And, and I'm just grateful for every day I've got. I think that's probably the best way I can sum it up. It's so interesting because just when you were mentioning about relearning skills, organization, technical skills, and you also mentioned having to do a lot of rehab, and I'd written down about asking for help, and then you mentioned about self-compassion. And I think mm. those two topics are really intertwined in that I think lots of people struggle with this, but I think it is common amongst people working towards their PhDs because you feel you've got to this place on your academic merit and you're surrounded by people who are very clever and asking for help is really difficult. So it was in, so yeah, do you want to share anything about that? Because I guess you had to ask for help after your accident. Yeah, I think my, my supervisors absolutely hands down have, have been amazing. Um, not just in terms of post-accident, but for the whole journey. And it's, I had a relationship with them. Where it was okay to go and ask them for help anyway. And, and it felt comfortable to do so, but it was just great to be able to go to them and say, I'm, I'm writing this. Can you, I'm having a go at writing these paragraphs. Can you have a read of these? Am I making sense as an example? Um, and to almost resume that aspect of, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to learn from them. And and sometimes I was quite surprised that the, the calibre of my writing was better than I thought it was. And there, there comes the bit of the self-compassion in certainly in, in, in parts of that rehab when I was doing those little bits of trickles, I was expecting too much of myself. Um, and when I wasn't delivering that, and for example, I was fatiguing all the time and, and not maintaining an hour at least, I would get angry at myself and I would, it would be mentally quite destructive. And it was working over time with, with psychologists as, as well in actually realizing that, Steve, you've got to be gentle with yourself. You're still recovering. This is not something you're going to recover from overnight. Um, but actually just recognize that you know, you're, you're this, but, in any case, we're only human. We're only, there's only so much we can all do. Don't expect too much yourself. Make realistic goals. And, and that was the problem at the time. My overarching goal, yes, in the longer term was quite good, but those sort of pseudo goals in between, they were just ridiculously unrealistic. You know, you're not going to write a chapter in, 
in a day, Steve. That's not going to happen. <laughs> um, and it was kind of a realization um, and probably, a, I think, a degree of eating a little bit of humility pie as well in, in understanding, yes, realistic, be realistic now. I actually get asked about realistic goal setting quite a lot from, especially from first year PhD students. They say, because I do a lot of work with them on, you know, plan, okay, plan out the month. How much time will that take? And they say, but I just don't know how, you know, I can't. (laughs) And it's true. It's true. Time estimation of tasks and realistic goal setting. So not Mm. over predicting, but also not under predicting what you can achieve is really difficult. So you seem like you've got a handle now on what you can achieve. Is there anything that's helped you get there? Side tangent, but. Um, reflection massively. Uh, something that my therapist all picked up on was that I was really quite, I'm trying to think of the, the best words, there's quite meticulous in how I reflected in, in, in the progress in over the last week or couple of weeks or so since they would have seen me. Um, and, that reflection not just in terms of that but also going back to pre-accident self and reflecting well that's where I was and and almost kind of forging out a a new normal for me and so yes back prior to the accident I I had a rough idea it was a benchmark of what I knew I could have generally done and it's and it's only a, a rough benchmark at that but I had to kind of find a, a new normal in a sense of at that particular time so what would be realistic for me so it's not just the fact of okay I want a chapter written by this date no no it's more the fact of breaking that down even further um okay I want this I want to discuss this point let alone the chapter um but not necessarily having a hard fixed date at the end of that and whereas before, yes, I, I would have generally had a, a date that or given myself a, a deadline to at least get something done by. Um, I just had to be much more fluid of that. And if I go back to my first year, I, I think I would have been more fluid of myself. then. if I was to do it again now, yes, I would be much more fluid because then you, you don't know what you can do. You've got all of this new stuff you've got to read and certainly in, in the business school and, and social sciences in general. And I think for a lot of other PhDs, you've got to look into things like the philosophy. Um, suddenly you're getting thrown all of these different terms. Oh, what does epistemology mean? Oh, what does positivism mean? Oh, what does critical realism mean? All of this quite heavy stuff. And looking back at that, I think actually I would have allowed myself a lot more flexibility of, of just grasping through that. Um, and I think, you make your own benchmark. Um, you know how how quickly you can then read and, and that's how you can then base stuff on. But it's quite a difficult one, really. I think every PhD student is going to be unique in that sense. And that's where the supervisors come into their own. They've been there. They've done it. They've got the T-shirt. Um, but they, certainly my supervisors, help me set goals and they help me set realistic goals for me. That's great. As th- I I also feel when I look back on my first year that um, I could have spent more time delving into things. I think it takes a lot of courage. So that would be one thing I'd say to new students is to, it's a fine balance, isn't it, between mm. getting a good start on your PhD, but also getting a really good 
foundation knowledge you're not going to get that time again in your career I think yeah was there any time in that that two-year period after your accident where I mean you sound pretty positive but did you ever consider just leaving it all the PhD no not once so I guess but that it was like a two-way thing the determination to finish helps you get better and then probably the yeah as you got better you could see the finish line more easily I think I think there was also an element of I just felt there, there was those elements in, in my own desire and determination um and some would probably say there were times that I was just bloody minded about it as well like I was going to get this one way or the other but it was also the fact my supervisors have been through this as well and and I felt I just owe it you know, owed it to them as much as I did myself because they've invested so much of their time in me and and they've they did not once give up, even in the accident. You know, they, they didn't give up. And and that goes for the school as well. Norwich Business School have been fantastic right from the word go. And you know, when I'm asked to do guest stuff for them, it's an it's a real honor now. But it's just the yeah, I think it's just taking it all together, I think, in in the fact of that just galvanized that desire to to really go through. And and boy am I glad that I did that. I mean it's great to overcome something, but to then walk away with you know, a PhD at the end of it, despite everything that go that went on, I think it's just one of those philosophies that I've always had myself that we can do anything if we put our mind to it and we want it. We can do it. And also if we give ourselves the time to do it is what I've heard from you as well. So yeah. we can't, you know, things don't always take the time we think they're going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be impatient. Um, I was very impatient in those two years. Um, and as I paid the price with fatigue enough times, but that's, a, that's another learning journey. And, you know, it, it's, one of those things it's uh again going back to that point of being just being realistic and and be compassionate compassionate on yourself um you know take your time you'll get there and quality over quantity maybe comes into that as well definitely talking about a learning journey i had made a note a few minutes ago you mentioned um about reflection sort of doing some reflective practice between therapy and and to help you know Mm. how much you could get done and reflective practice especially within the sciences is something we're trying to work on helping our students develop because it's not a skill they're taught Um, I know in in so for example in like med and health sciences that they're taught to do that a lot more in social sciences but I think it is so important to knowing yourself and knowing how you work well. So were there any particular tools you used? How did you learn about it? Or is it just something you've always done? Um, it's something I've always done. I've, I, I'm Something that hasn't changed, even despite the accident, is I'm very detail-oriented. I love detail in sometimes the most mundane of things. But I like details. Um, it drives my wife potty. <laughs> She's like, oh, you need to know the details. I mean, but... Yeah, I'm detailed, but I like to then process all of that and then reflect on that. And and it's something I've always done and certainly had to in industry a lot, um, especially when we, we were dealing um, in some of the, the training I was doing in industry. It was, you know, it was 
at the end of the day, I had to be quite critical of myself and what I was teaching because they were patients' lives at the end of that because these were clinical systems being used in operating theatres uh, as well as general hospital medical uh, contexts as well. Um, and that transferred through. And I, and I think it also, as you're learning stuff, as you reflect on things that you're learning, you're consolidating what you're learning. Um, and that's the first thing I found with, with lectures in my first year undergraduate. Well, I went away after the lecture and got a coffee and just went over my notes and just reflected and almost like joining the dots. And you're realizing that what the lecturers are doing is that they're, they're, they're giving you the skeleton for you to go and then build on it. And, and that's kind of a, a foundation academic skill, really, that as PhD students, that's, I think, one thing that we, yeah, we should be doing. And I absolutely agree with you, Emma, that it's, it's a great skill for any PhD students to have. And reflection doesn't mean that you have to do it on your own. No, reflect on things in groups. Um, other PhD students, you might think, well, we're all doing different topics. So, yes, you, you're all doing different topics, but we're all walking this journey together. And that's one thing in, in the business school. Um, if certainly a few PGR directors really tried to champion amongst us is, is to walk with each other, even though, you know, your colleague might be doing a PhD in, in accounting and finance and you might be doing software engineering. Yeah, different, massively different topics, but the research journey, you're on together. Um, and it's just that aid in reflecting on, on how you're going. And that's where the character building comes in. And cert certainly that's how I feel it came in. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's quite a big topic in itself. Re reflective practice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It could be a whole other series. But it's interesting to hear your thoughts, especially on the group reflection, because I often think of it just as a solo activity, but you're, you're absolutely right. So. Mm. Well, it makes the PhD social as well, um, because it's very often it's got this stigma of PhD is a lonely journey. As in, well, well, it is an individual project, but that does not mean it hasn't got to be social. <laughs> it can be very social. Mm. Did you find those social networks were really important? in helping you come back after your accident? They were, uh, they paid dividends, yes. Um, and that even extended to beyond the university. So I'd, I'd, build up, I'd built up um, relationships with the Norwich uh, tech community as well, um, like Norfolk developers and Sync Norwich. And, and there's guys that, you know, I've, I've worked with in doing industry events and so forth. And they, they have been amazing as well. Um, and even into themselves, they've helped me to regain some of the technical skills that I used to have. Um, so I've relearned them as a result of that. So, and, and again, that reflective practice, it's something in industry that they do champion as well. I've got a couple of questions that I'm sort of asking everyone to wrap up. But before we get there, is there anything else about the the story you've shared, your accident, your PhD journey that you want to share with the listeners? Um, I'll probably, if I can pass on one piece of advice, yeah. um, almost quoting my primary supervisor because mm -hmm. she's the one who, who advised this. And, and in the two years coming back to the PhD, this piece of advice absolutely paid dividends when I look at the bigger picture. And that was in my second year, start writing your thesis. 
um, the first thing she said, start writing your thesis in your second year. Um, and not as in fully writing it, but you're trickling bits and pieces into it. So obviously first year, you, you will have a lot of literature stuff that can go in there. Methodology, all of that builds up. And, and when I look back now and reflect, um, I, I realized that had I have not followed that advice, I don't think I would have finished. I don't think there is any po- any way that I would have been able to, to cram it right up into a year, um, let alone having the accident. And I think in that situation, when one of these big unknowns comes out of the blue, like what happened to me, that dividend paid out because there suddenly I didn't have a mountain to climb. I was almost at the summit of the mountain. And I think that helped me in, in, in my determination to carry on. And um, so I, I would say to, to anyone listening that you're doing your PhD, start trickle writing your thesis in your second year. And that, that was the advice that my primary supervisor gave to me. And I, I stand by it. I really do. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, start, yeah, to start as early as possible, right? I think I've heard it called a living thesis, exactly what you've described. I've heard that term as well. Which is like a, yeah, a non-perfect, editable, adaptable document. But as you say, stuff is there. So whatever happens, whatever goes wrong, you've got that, like almost a safety net of opening a document and there's stuff there, which is just what you just described. So yeah. that's brilliant. I'm going to write up some episode notes for each guide. So I'll, I'll try and include things like that and links if I have any other mm. resources. That's a great point to end on that bit of the story. So just if we could finish up with a couple of, I say rapid fire, but they're not rapid fire. You can take as long as you want over them. But, you know, just sort of two distinct questions. The first one is, if you were starting your your PhD again now, is there any piece of advice that you'd give yourself? Uh, be gentle on myself. I think don't expect um, don't expect to move a mountain. <laughs> it's probably the best metaphor I can describe. That you, I'm there to learn, and I don't know what's about to come. So just be gentle and and, and see. That's that's great advice. That's great advice. Whatever stage of your career you're at. And finally, because you've hinted a few times, you've just about finished up. Do you want to share with us what you hope is next post PhD? Well, I'm I'm just waiting to begin my uh, career now with Norfolk and Suffolk Police as a cybersecurity advisor. Um, having got the job, but uh, the medical paperwork takes a bit of time, so I, I'm still waiting to start that. But I generally can't wait and. And yeah, I think that's it's the next chapter. You know, the the accident's done. Um, I, I I reflect and joke at my accident of that was my big piece of procrastination in 2018 that went very wrong. I don't recommend anyone procrastinate in the same way, um, but it's great to be looking ahead. Yeah, that's so exciting and so brave to be taking another jump, trying something else that's different. So I wish you all the best with that. Thank you very much. Steve, thank you so much for coming and sharing that story because I, well, I imagine, and I also hope that not many people will have as traumatic an experience during their PhD as you, but whether people take two years or, you know, two weeks out, people still have to come back from that, don't they? So yeah, 
I think it's really the more people that can share that sort of thing is really comforting for other people so thank you so much no it's a pleasure Remember, you can find lots more links and resources over in the show notes at emmaelvidge.com forward slash podcast.